Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. My name is Chloe Dalton. I have played a few professional sports, so I feel like I'm allowed to talk about women's sports. And one time I won an Olympic gold medal, so that's got to count for something. I'm joined every week by my co-host, Bez, who has played rugby for a very long time, is also involved in community rugby and women's rugby as well. She devotes her life to it and um, has an incredible knowledge about women's sport too. Bez, welcome. Thank you for that. And one time I watched you win a gold medal at one time. (laughs) Uh, Taking a look around the grounds, Australia's best ever Winter Olympics, Russian doping scandal and golfer Hannah Green takes the win on home soil. For our key story, we'll discuss a new report out of the UK demonstrating the millions of people who are watching women's sport on TV. This podcast drops every Tuesday morning at 6am, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We've got uh, interviews with athletes that drop Thursday fortnightly. And the wrap is now in email format. So I'll make sure I put the link in our show notes. You can subscribe to make sure you get an email to cover all this content too, so you can sit and read it with your morning coffee. Let's take a look around the grounds. It's time for the wrap within the wrap, my favorite kind wrapping the Winter Olympics so far. So we've got another medal for the Aussies, Jackie Narricot in the skeleton. Her silver medal was not only the first medal Australia has won in any sliding event, it also gave Australia their greatest ever Winter Olympics medal haul. She added her silver to Jakara Anthony's gold, Scotty James' silver and Tess Cody's bronze, taking the medal haul to four, more than any other Winter Olympic Games. We need to get Jackie Narricot on the podcast because her story is quite exceptional. Um, She actually admitted that the medal was a little bit of a surprise. Funding for Skeleton was discontinued in 2014 and she's leaned heavily on her husband and coach, Dom Parsons, who was a bronze medalist in Skeleton for Great Britain in 2018. There's been some support from the Olympic Winter Institute, which has helped a lot over the past four years, but There have been, as they described, plenty of maxed out credit cards and persistent rating of the bank of mum and dad, like most of the small nations. Jackie estimated that it's cost her over $100,000 to pursue her dreams over the past four years. Along with the financial pressure, there's been some pretty serious and and scary or a scary injury to contend with. Um, It was not long after the 2018 Olympics, she almost had a career ending concussion at the track in Calgary. Her symptoms were so severe For six months afterwards, she was still walking around the streets um, of her base in in Bath in the UK. She described it like she was drunk almost walking around because of the concussion symptoms. She could barely walk, so the thought of throwing herself down the skeleton track was completely out of the question. Then COVID hit. She skipped a number of big races to avoid the pandemic. So then in January, she, she came out, won gold at the World Cup event in Switzerland and shocked kind of the whole skeleton world there. She talked about the fact that she said, I finally realized that my career wasn't going to be any worse or better if I did finally get that medal. And sure enough, I let go of it and it happened, which is no coincidence. I'm well aware of that fact. She was quite incredible. We talked last week about Jakara Anthony, who kind of was just in the zone. And and I got the same vibe watching Jackie. She just was super confident and, and she looked like she had it the whole time she was just focused and and ready to go. She was sliding at 118 kilometers per hour. She was the leader after the first two runs, but Germany's Hannah Nisa was a touch faster in the final two trips down the hill, taking home the gold medal by 0.62 seconds. 
Super impressive stuff, that. Um, 118 kilometres an hour, face first, on a Macca's tray. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Not okay. It's like even the way they sprint, like have you watched how they they sprint upright but they have to have a hand on the Macca's tray. Like I don't think I could sprint and bend down that low. My back, not good enough for that. No, no dice. <laughs> no, it's uh, not. <laughs> uh, Belle Brockoff, she's had a huge week in Beijing. Um, her qualifying run in her individual snowboard cross event was less than ideal. I love Belle's candid social media posts after after that uh, that run. She basically promised that she'd be better um, <laughs> and she absolutely made good on that promise. She went into those elimination races ranked 18th, so had plenty of work to do. The way those races work is they're seeded, so she was obviously up against some better snowboard crosses being, being 18th ranked there. Yeah, she admitted straight after that she had a worst time trial result ever in the sport, so she had to dig deep and put a lot of fight into it. She survived her first race, uh, finished a comfortable second, um, but then in the quarterfinal, as can happen in this sport, it all got real crazy. Uh, she was last heading into the final few bends, trailing running world champion Charlotte Banks of Great Britain and American Faye Gelini. As we said, snowball cross is super unpredictable. And just mm. as it looked like it was all over Bell, the leading pair tangled slightly on one bend, opening the door for the veteran Aussie to fly through and steal a remarkable second place and a spot in the semifinal. Um, again, the semi was pretty chaotic, saw her avoid another crash. Um, and qualify for Australia's first ever big final at the Olympics in snowboard cross. Unfortunately, she just, it looked like she missed the start slightly um, over those first few jumps at the top, and she just found herself behind early and wasn't able to make up the ground on the leaders. Um, She finished fourth out of four, and again, super honest post-race, love her, love her chat. She just straight out said, fourth is shithouse, it's so shit, you're the loser of the big final, you missed the podium by that much. Yeah, for sure. All right. So in some non-Aussie Winter Olympic news, uh, 15-year-old Russian figure skater Camilla Valeva is at the centre of a doping scandal in Beijing after testing positive for trimetazidine, which is an angina medication banned in sports. I believe it um, helps your blood vessels in your heart expand, therefore carrying more of the good things. Um, the sample was more given things. in- All the things, yeah. <laughs> the sample <laughs> was given- in late December in St. Petersburg where she won the Russian National Championship and sent to a WADA-approved lab in Stockholm for analysis. There was a delay, unfortunately, in processing that sample. Apparently, uh, Stockholm, the lab advised the authorities of the positive test on Monday, only hours after the Russians had won a gold medal in the team event that um, the 15-year-old had competed in. Um, so, unfortunately, due to that delay, and they think that the delay was obviously Christmas time and a surge in Omicron variant cases of COVID-19 that the Stockholm lab was also taking care of, um, held up that analysis. So, she was immediately stood down, uh, placed under a provisional ban. Um, the Russian Olympic Committee then lodged a few appeals and it's now sitting with the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Um, to see whether they will allow her to compete in the individual event, which starts Tuesday. But obviously with that hanging over her head, um, it's looking unlikely. Let's go to some more positive news, the record-breaking kind of news. Dutch speed skater Irene Woost is doing her best to beat Father Time. At 35 years old, she's competing in her fifth Olympics and has already made history. Last week, she won the 1500 metres with an Olympic record time of 153.28. This was her 12th Olympic medal, 
tying her as the third most decorated Winter Olympian of all time. She could finish the games tied for second all time after the women's team pursuit event. Amazingly, her gold medal meant she became the first athlete to win at least one individual gold medal at five consecutive Olympics, summer or winter. The first in of all time to ever do that. So impressive. It's an example of remarkable longevity. She became the youngest ever Dutch winner of an Olympic gold medal in Turin by winning the 3000 meters at the age of 19. When she was asked about her career, she said, when I was 19, it felt like a party. Everything was so amazing. I felt like a child in a candy shop. A lot of things happened to me during the last 16 years. So this one is more emotional. You overcome so many things. The first time is the easiest one to win. Winning for the fifth time is the hardest one to win. I cannot say which Olympic gold is more important to me. It's like having six children and you have to pick which one is the most beautiful. They all mean a lot to me. I love this because people, I often get the question, Olympic gold or AFLW premiership. And I've used that, like, don't make me pick a favorite child. So five Olympic gold medals, probably hard to choose. Oh, for sure. And there was a bit of commentary afterwards. She was, I think she went, because obviously with these kind of speed skating events, the fastest person competes last. Um, so it's mm. a time thing, right? I think she raced fourth or fifth last. So like wasn't coming in kind of, I think everyone's like, oh, the old girl won last event for her. Um, wasn't necessarily a big favorite. And she said herself, she said, look, I wasn't racing super well coming into this, but something about the Olympic rings, I got out there and yeah, I won gold because that's obviously what she does. It's just what she does. It's yeah. so impressive. Another really cool story that's just come out of Beijing, Erin Jackson, who's an American speed skater, has become the first black woman to win not only an individual speed skating medal, but a gold one. She's also the first US athlete to win gold in this event since 1994. Bez, you did some um, good behind the scenes research. I think we also need to get her on the podcast too. Oh, for sure. She started out on skates slash wheels career in roller derby. Amazing. Amazing. I must admit it was a bit of a late research. I didn't quite find her roller derby name, but we will stay tuned, people. I feel like it'll be a good one. All right. In rugby league, we're back. Friday night saw the NRLW All-Stars match, which was held in Sydney in front of a, as part of a double header. Uh, there was probably a good crowd of around 10,000 people in to watch the ladies. It was a reversal of last year's result with the Indigenous All-Stars avenging that humiliating defeat to the Maori All-Stars with a dominant 18-8 to win. 19-year-old Indigenous All-Star winger Jamie Chapman was judged best on ground and was awarded the Tish Trish Hina medal. Chapman scored two tries, including a length of the field intercept try that came after the Maori All-Stars looked destined to score following several repeat attacking sets. The match was a tight contest from the start, but the Indigenous All-Stars led throughout and held on for the victory. After the match, Chapman paid tribute to the concept when the proud Camilleroy woman said she appreciated spending plenty of time in All-Stars camp on the on the players' cultural history. She said, this year we spent a little more time focusing on our culture, so we got to immerse ourselves in our culture, spend time with some ancestors, dance practice and putting our totems into the dance. To do that performance in front of our mob and our families was an honour. I love that part that is so intrinsically linked into this um, this contest between in both the men's and the women's game, the way that some of these young sporting stars actually get to spend some time um, thinking and 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 you know, learning about their their cultural history is fantastic. Yeah, and I think sport is such a cool way for them to also educate other people as well, for, for people watching the game of footy too. I think it's really special. Absolutely. 
In basketball, the Opals have wrapped up their three games in Serbia, finishing the tournament with two wins and a loss to the hosts. They'd already qualified for the World Cup later this year as we are hosting it on home soil, but they gained some valuable game time on court together during the during the tournament. Game one saw the Aussies defeat Brazil before coming up against home team Serbia in game two. It was a tense match from the start. The last time these two nations faced off was at the quarterfinals at the Rio Olympics in an emotional thriller that saw Serbia triumph 73 to 71. I was at that game and it was devastating. People were kind of talking about the the quarterfinal curse in Rio for a lot of the team sports and it was, yeah, that was a devastating one to watch. So I know this is this would be an emotional uh, fueled game for the Opals coming back up against Serbia. They held a narrow lead late in the second quarter when a stray elbow from Steph Talbot was deemed intentional. Upon review, the Polish ref deemed it to be a disqualifying foul and Talbot was ejected from the game. There was a, a, a lot of talk that this this may have been a, an over-the-top call uh, by the referee, but that's beside the point here. The Serbians. Your, your, your thoughts on this? Look, I'm going to come out and say the refereeing was interesting at best. Excellent. That's very political of you. Continue. <laughs> the Serbians put their noses in front early in the third quarter and the Aussies just struggled to pull them back. Despite a fighting performance by Sammy Whitcomb and a late three from Beck Allen to cut the lead back to five points, Serbia held on for a 78-71 to 71 victory. In game three, the Opens were too good for South Korea, comfortably winning 79-61 to 61 to round out their tournament. After game two, Opals coach Sandy Brondello addressed the talk around Liz Cambage and the GOAT, Lauren Jackson. She was very clear when speaking after the Brazil match saying, we want players who are committed to wearing the green and gold. That's the most important thing. Liz wasn't, and that's okay. We support Liz in that. She's helped us and had a great World Cup in 2018, but it's changed now. My job is to focus on the players we do have and getting the right preparation, unlike leading into Tokyo. I I like this statement because uh, I think that there was a lot of behaviour that almost kind of was swept under the rug. So I really like that Liz, uh, sorry, that Sandy has called out Liz on this. Again, I don't really like giving Liz a whole lot of airtime in this, but I think it's really important that she's been called out and Sandy has said, you're not contributing to the team culture, so we actually don't want you as part of this team. I just think it's it's refreshing to see a coach be honest, you know, Correct. and to be able to to be able to 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 be honest in the media with where a player is at, and you know, she summed it up really great. We we want players that want to want to play for Australia, and at this stage, the actions and the words that, that Liz has put out there, she's not one of those players. Exactly. In golf, world number thirty Hannah Green broke through for her first big win on home soil on Sunday with a commanding six-stroke victory at the Vic Open. The tournament's been a groundbreaker when it comes to being a mixed gender event where the men and women play alongside each other. They actually play separate events as, well, separate competitions, so to speak, but it's kind of like men's group hits off, women's group hits off uh, alternatively. So, yeah, pretty unique on the world tour. Um, The prize money in 2022 was also equal um, and Green took home $410,000 for her victory, which was the same amount as men's winner Dimi Papadatos. Um, Green started the day with a five-shot sh- cushion over a fellow Western Australian, Whitney Hillier, but she got the wobbles early after registering a couple of early bogeys on the front nine. She needed to dig deep on a hot and windy day at 13 Beach, and she did. 
Showing her class, when the pressure came on, Green drained three birdies and a remarkable pass save on the 16th to finish at 13 under and claim the trophy. Um, she acknowledged the fact that she hadn't won um, at home and said it was really nice to finally have my name on a proper trophy over here. Um, and the Vic Open was her first ever professional event, so definitely was a special moment for her. Post-presentation, uh, apparently she would uh, had to make good on a promise to Daniel Ricciardo. So after her win, channeling the West Aussies' famous Shoey celebration with one of her own, she removed the old golf shoe, filled it up with champers, and gave us a shoey, a golf shoey. It was done with poise and adequate and very golf-like and I'm sure tasted horrible. Horrible. And she was like, I'm not putting my shoe back on after this. No. Why would you? Anyway, more, why would you? More, more golf shoeys. I think it's um, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> In AFLW, the Adelaide Crows lost their first game of the season on Sunday when an impressive Western Bulldogs outfit edged them out 8-1-49 to 7-6-48. The Bulldogs never trailed and won away for the first time since beating Adelaide at the same venue in round one of 2019. They were led by Ellie Blackburn and Kirsty Lamb and the Bulldogs dominated the first half. They led by 24 points in the second quarter. The Doggies lost two players in the first half to injury and the Crows were storming home late. They trailed by 15 early in the final quarter, but goals to Ashley Woodland and Stevie Lee Thompson cut the deficit to just three points. It was a hectic closeout of this game. So there were a couple more Crows behinds with Aaron Phillips falling just short from a set shot and Caitlin Gould having a close range kick that was smothered. The dogs were scrambling to prevent a score after being pinned down in front of the Crows goal and hold on they did. They handed Adelaide their first defeat of 2022 and took themselves to just outside the top six. Let's take a look at the key story. All right. It's stat time. It's stat time. Go Bears. Eyes on sport. It is stat time. A recent report out of the UK undertaken by Future Sport they're working alongside the Women's Sports Trust, has recorded that domestic women's sport attracted a record British broadcast audience of nearly 33 million people in 2021. A lot of this was, was centred around um, two domestic competitions that took place uh, last year in the UK, the first one being the 100 Cricket Tournament and the other one obviously being the FA Women's Super League Soccer uh, Tournament. They were the two biggest drivers bringing in a combined 11 million new viewers to women's sport. I think that new word is probably the important part. Yeah, and I think that's the cool part is trying to we're probably trying to strive for equality in a lot of areas, but also recognizing that women's sport is a different product. So it's really cool that we're getting those new viewers and the report found that of the hundreds cricket tournament 4.9 million viewers, 3.5 million went on to watch other women's sport. Um, it also claims that 25% of viewers who watched England women's cricket or the women's hundred last year did not watch any of men's cricket on TV in 2021, which is a pretty interesting stat to come out of that. And, and probably further pushing that idea that we can actually create people who are fans of just women's sport alone. They don't have to be men's sports fans who then transition to watch the women. Yeah. And the soccer showed that too. So 6.2 million people watched a live WSL broadcast in 2021 without watching a Premier League game that year. So that's huge. I mean, I feel like everyone in the UK watches Premier League. So the fact that there's 6.2 million of them that, that haven't but did watch a female game, amazing. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so 
studies, other studies have shown that there is actually a current trend of declining TV viewing hours across all sport. However, women's sport has grown across both free to air and pay TV channels in 2021. We know that free to air is what we want. We know that that's what's going to break down the barriers for consuming women's sport. And the report states that free to air broadcast brought in 19 million new viewers to women's sport. So the report talks about the fact that it does still need to address building greater habit and repeat viewership, an area which it does lag behind in men's sport. And I think that's probably a, a representation of the way that maybe it was from when people were younger, right? Growing up, you didn't see women's sport on TV all the time. It wasn't part of your habit that you might go to the pub every Friday and watch women play sport on TV or whatever it was and have your team. You might've supported a men's club team and done the same thing, but this is kind of a new era I find for people who are fans of women's sport where you actually can have free to air access to your team or to your club or to your country competing so that you can now become a regular viewer of it. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think the word habit um, that you said use there, Chloe, is, is really important. And that that comes and, and, and comes about when you when you know where you can watch the game, where you know that it's going to be on this time, on this channel, and 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 it's available to you. And I think that part of that is not only making it available to you, but promoting the fact that it is going to be on television. We need to be better at all times of promoting ourselves and our product. And I think that will will definitely bring about that, that, that habit-forming behaviours that that will help improve the repeat viewership numbers. Yeah, and, and just to wrap it up, I, I like this quote from Tammy Parler, the, the chief executive and co-founder of the Women's Sport Trust. She said, we know how important these major events are in growing viewership figures, but we want this growth to be sustainable, driving greater habit amongst audiences to ensure women's sport continues to be visible, viable, and unstoppable. Ooh, I like that. Is that a hashtag? Visible, Mm. viable, unstoppable? Yeah, I think that might be a new campaign. That's nice, Tammy. I like it. (laughs) I like it. Let's take a look at what to watch. The Winter Olympics finishes up this weekend with the closing ceremony taking place on Sunday. There's still heaps of action before then, so make sure you're keeping an eye on our daily Instagram stories and watching on The Seven Network. In surfing, the World Series stays in Hawaii for event two as the women paddle out at Sunset Beach this week. You can watch all the action at WSL.com, on their Facebook stream and on Foxtel. And that's the wrap. Thanks, Chloe. And once again, I'm coming to you from the van and, you know, it's been a lovely holiday, but I'm looking forward to being in the same room as you. Goodbye. Bye, friends. <laughs> <laughs>